Blog Talk Radio. Block Talk Radio Nation. Happy Friday. You're tuned into page one. I am LeVar, so thankful that all of you can join us. Uh, of course, uh, we are in, in perhaps a heat wave, and I know that most of the nation probably is too, so wherever you are, I hope that you are staying cool. And if you're also in bad weather or rains or fire or what have you, hopefully you are all safe and everyone is uh, doing okay. I uh, haven't had a chance to really see you guys on a regular basis here throughout the summer as we have been kind of taking our days and picking them back and forth here and taking a break away from everything. But uh, we are usually here with Page One every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central right here on Blog Talk Radio. And if you want to catch up with what we've been doing uh, even along that before then, of course you can always go back and listen to all of our shows here on Blog Talk Radio. You can always catch up with them also on iTunes, where they are available as a podcast for free. And if you need help in regards to getting there, you can also visit us at our official webpage, which is at newscommentbtr.wix.com forward slash fan page. And there you'll get all the links along with show bios and also the latest show schedules and also retro moments and special moments as well. Uh, I had a lot to talk about on today's show, but moments ago, before we came on air, uh, the president uh, spoke out today about, of course, and we call this show page one. Sometimes we kind of do a lot more lighter fare than the heavier stuff, and we tend to try to stay away from it because that's a different time or place, plus we really wouldn't have the time to cover it all. But I would be remiss if I did not take a minute to kind of talk about everything that's been going on here the last couple of weeks, especially with the Trayvon Martin case that has followed. There are two sides to this issue, those who believe in the stand your ground and those who believe that an injustice has occurred. And no matter, I think, what uh, you believe, this case did go to a jury. The jury found their decision. And when that happens, we have to accept that jury's decision, but you can also voice your opinion. And when I talk about voicing our opinion, I don't mean in the loud, brash way that has become over social media and people's, I think, especially in the last decade, their uh, politically incorrectness to, at the same time, to try and force a low blow. I think when you usually do that, and when you've got both sides doing it at once, always what seems to happen is that no one listens. And when it can come at a more educated, I'm going to repeat that again, a more educated way, a dialogue, as to why we've gotten to this point, 
and why this point seems to have continued for so long and why both sides are angry. You know, it's always said that, uh, you know, there's people that are talking loud and saying nothing, and, and usually it can happen when both sides are yelling at each other. In, in this case, this hits home. Not only it hits home for the black community, but even then more so for people who are looking for justice. And at the end of the day, it did not, in my mind, come down to, you know, a white male shooting a black person. This was a person-on-person crime. And I think people walked away upset because it seemed to, or the message that seemed to have come from the verdict at that point was that it was okay. It was okay to let things escalate to this point. And I think that's the more sad thing out of all this. And like I said, I'm just putting that as opinion, not as fact. And the thing is, is that at the end of the day, it's a situation that really should not have occurred because now, and I'm looking more at it so from the person that suffered the most, and that being Trayvon Martin, is that now he is no longer here. And for people where I've heard in social media to pretty much just dismiss it and said, well, you know, he had it coming. you got to remember, at the end of the day, this was a young man who was going home, wasn't doing anything, and was unarmed. And even if you want to bring up things that he had in his cell phone or things that you say that he did, it still does not give away the fact that there are parents that are mourning a child and really much have walked away with the person that shot him pretty much walking. And it sets up a dangerous, in my mind, especially with Stand Your Ground, and I know there are going to be people who will talk about it, but it sets up a dangerous thing as to where do we draw the line with that law? Because if not him, it could be someone else. And if not someone else, it could be someone who we know. You know, the funniest thing that I always tend to say is that we can sit here and we can talk about everything that we think we know, but then what it happens to someone that we know or someone that's close to us. And then on top of that, if the same thing happened to us, then all of a sudden we want to take a look at it from the other side. It should never get to that point as to when it eventually happens to us. It's the same thing as if your whole neighborhood was getting robbed and you sat there and was like, well, you know, if you had your front door open or if you didn't do this, it probably wouldn't have happened. And then the day when it happens to you, then all of a sudden you get upset as well. It shouldn't take that point. But more or less so, I hope that from this, from this situation, a couple of things happen. One, that there is a deeper look into this particular law, what led to the issues because of that law, and maybe a restructuring of it. I'm not I'm not calling for a total throwing away of that law. People do need to defend themselves. And we don't know what happened that night. We weren't there. There's no video no one knows, but there needs to be a closer look at that law. Second, out of all of that, I hope that there is an educated dialogue that leads to changes in how people in this country view each other. You know, it's sad that we've kind of gotten to a point that throughout the turbulent times of the 60s, the getting to know each other period of the 70s, the the me period of the 80s, and then you know, of everything else, and even after 9-11, when we were all pretty much in unison together and people supported each other, it seems to have died apart again. And it shouldn't take 
a big catastrophe or something else to drive us together. We should try to look at each other and to understand each other from a point of where it should always be that way. Perhaps I'm naive. Perhaps I live in a fantasy world, according to you, but there needs to be something as to which we just shouldn't come together when something collects us all. It needs to be always. And, of course, we need to look at the generations and the people that are, why they do things that they are, and why we are, and I'm going to use a a term out here, but profiling people. Even myself as an African-American male, I will say that, yes, there are some things that happen. Sadly, I shouldn't have to think about that. But yet, as always, with any race, creed, color, there's always that thinking of an assumption of how they are, how people are. And it should never be that way. You know, the one thing about Dr. King's speech many years ago as I Have a Dream speech was the fact that he dreamt of a world in which we weren't judged by all of that, but except by our content of our character. And perhaps hopefully one day, and maybe even from discussions that spring as this, we can get to a point of where we aren't judged by what our skin tone is, we aren't judged by what our sexual orientation is, we aren't judged by what our religious beliefs are, but perhaps our content of our character. And maybe then, hopefully then, when we're judged by just that alone, hopefully we won't have incidents such as this or verdicts that will divide us, but things that can bring us together and hopefully to understand. But that's my opinion on all of that, and I had a lot more to talk about today besides that, but seeing the president's speech this uh Afternoon, just thought I wanted to kind of add our two cents because we haven't had a chance to really talk about it. Um, and it kind of almost seems um, <laughs> pointless now to kind of go on with the stories that I had, but we will try to go on with them. Uh, one of the things that I uh, had today in regards to uh, the story out there was an interesting study that came up, and it is why women wear red. According to a new study, It says women are three times more likely to wear red or pink when their fertility peaks. This coming from the University of British Columbia. The study also found that 77% of women dressed in those two colors were, quote, at a high risk for conception. That might be just a subconscious color choice, but women are evolutionary, pre-programmed to want to attract partners when they're reproductively fertile, says study co-author Jessica Tracy. And multiple studies show men rate red the most sexually appealing color. She says, if you're looking for a flirt with me cue, that doesn't mean she's primed for baby making. See if she's talking with her male bartender or waiter. Research shows that if women are in a mood for some fun, they'll have trouble containing their chattiness around other men. (laughs) So if you want to look into that, you can definitely now know that uh, if women are wearing those colors, look out. Another study coming up from this week comes from the University of Humboldt, and a study co-author, Michael Duffner, is that sometimes being a jerk works. Now, I'm not saying go out and be a jerk. It's just sometimes it may work. Narcissistic traits, cockiness, a sense of entitlement, and arrogant behavior may boost your chances for no-strings-attached sex. Now, this is more or less for guys, and that's new research from the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. In the study... Men who flirted with random women to try to score phone numbers 
guys who tested above average on the narcissism portion of personality profile were significantly more likely to get digits than their humble counterparts. Now, the doctor says it's all about self-esteem. The research is controlled uh, for self-confidence and found that narcissists were still more likely to get, I guess, laid, I guess, if we all want to be adult about it. What's the secret? Boldness. Even if a woman knows nothing about you, she's turned on by audacious, decisive behavior. And thanks to their extra helpings of self-love, narcissists are a lot more likely to be bold in social situations. So the good news is that you don't actually have to be a self-obsessed jerk to get lucky at a bar this weekend, but you do have to show some guts. And that doesn't mean making eye contact for hours or trying to catch her alone on her way to the bathroom, the creepy spot, but instead approach her even when she's with 10 other women and they're all watching you make your move or grabbing the karaoke microphone and serenading her is an even bolder move and should up your chances of a shared cab ride home, according to that study. You know, I'm actually... uh, when you look at it, and it actually does make sense, because now when you think about it, you sometimes think, why do the jerks who tend to always show that cockiness or boldness usually get to women? It's because that's something that women are attracted to. Now, I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But if you have those traits, that narcissist trait that they're talking about in that study, they seem to be working on something there, because I think that actually does work for a lot of guys. And I... If you're out in the bar, the next time you do see somebody like that, see if they're actually lucky by the end of the evening. I bet you you'll be pleasantly surprised. Another great study coming out this week was about social media. And this one was actually kind of funny. And it was uh, on Yahoo, and it was comes from a person from the Business and Community page. His name is Pablo Binkowski. And it was putting social media in an aspect of if it were drugs. And a person did a good job of explaining how to deal with that vicious loop that in the end is costing us hundreds of hours every year, precious hours that could be otherwise spent in a more productive manner. And they compared social networks to drugs and pretty much made an infographic out of it. And I'm going to read off some of this to you, and it's actually pretty funny. If social media were drugs, Facebook would be marijuana. It says, don't wait until 420 for that status update. So popular that probably even your parents are using it. Twitter was compared to an amphetamine. It says, type faster and try to focus in 140 character batches. LinkedIn was actually associated with cocaine. It says, success is somewhere down the line for high flyers only. Google Plus was compared to alcohol. It says you do it for SEO, but you hate yourself every time you use it. YouTube was compared to tobacco. It says it's so hard to kick the cute kitten video habit. You keep doing it, though you know it's crap. Friendster was compared to sniffing glue. It says that nobody does it. All your friends upgraded to Facebook. Reddit was comparable to meth. It says ugly and very addictive. Nobody looks good doing it. MySpace was compared to doing mushrooms. It says people heard about it, but don't really care anymore. Foursquare is like smoking a pipe. It says pretty much it's bullcrap and it's old, and it makes you look stupid too. Pinterest was compared to LSD. where They said pictures and colors are for mind-pacing time-wasting experience. 
and Instagram was compared to crack. It says, are you sure about taking a photo of your body part and doing a drug named after it? Very interesting thing. We'll post it on our web page for or our Twitter page. And actually, while I bring that up, you can catch us on Twitter at News Comet BTR, and you guys can take a look at the link itself. Very interesting. Now, I don't know. Um, that article was done a little while ago, and it's for social media. But I wonder what you would put Candy Crush under. I don't know. It's very addicting. Very, very, very addicting. Another interesting story this week comes from the celebrity front, and it was about Miley Cyrus. Now, of course, we've seen a lot of Miley over the last few months. And it says, the question was, do you ever wonder where she gets her chutzpah these days? Now, Miley has adopted a revealing new wardrobe of spandex, short shorts, and crop tops, and of course was named number one on Maxim's 2013 Hot 100 list. And then, of course, there's that addictive We Can't Stop video. And as it turns out, there's an easily identifiable line where all this bolt is started. It's the moment that she decided to chop her hair. Now, while she doesn't specifically say the haircut, which took place almost a year ago, abruptly changing her long, wavy locks into a punkish platinum pixie, is responsible for the recent string of brash headlines, she does admit that it was a major game-changer. She says, I didn't plan a haircut to change my life. I just cut my hair, and then it really changed my life. She told this to the Toronto Sun recently, and she said, there's something about having no hair that it screams being confident. Now, the star has never expressed even an ounce of regret for going under the shears, and she said, never felt more me in my whole life. Uh, That was when she debuted the look, and then, uh, you can enter, of course, the twerking, the giant teddy bears, jump seats in the red carpet, and everything else. And she's also received her share of criticism for the do, of course, including some mean-spirited speculation about her sexual orientation. However, it doesn't bother her just a bit as she says, quote, being a lesbian isn't a bad thing. So if you think I look like a lesbian, I'm not offended. She says, I've been called much worse. Being a lesbian is a compliment more than what else they call her. And love it or hate it, her attention-grabbing hair does seem to have propelled her attractiveness factor. If her top position on the fan-voted annual maximum list is any indication, people think short hair, they think tomboy, and I've obviously done the opposite, because when I cut my hair, I did my first maximum cover, she points out. So the question is, is that when we change something major about ourselves that people are looking at for so long, does it actually change the way that we might think? And actually, I think Miley may have something there. Because I think at that moment, that when we change ourselves... If for the longest time you had uh, an afro or long hair, the minute you kind of change it to something else, you now have taken on someone else. If that kind of makes sense. I'll kind of explain why. You know, if you take, for example, not only just Miley, but other different people who are out there, and even then, I would say for, well, I was almost going to say for, um, and I can't think of her name at the moment, but uh, who was with Tom, Katie Holmes. Even when Katie kind of changed her hair and changed some aspects of it, when she was with Tom Cruise, she kept it a certain way. And then as soon as she left her, she kind of went back to a more, you know, old school, and she was pretty much the Katie of old. She wasn't this pent-up person. Or even then with uh, uh, a couple other celebrities that you could think of who changed their hairstyles. Or even then with some people who you might know. If they get that brand new hairstyle, it's like a brand new them. Or even then, if they change their hair color, or they totally change the way they look, 
it's a new them, a new identity for them, and they embrace it, and it probably brings out more of a boldness than the person that we're used to seeing. So I actually think there is something there with Miley. So good luck with her, I guess. <laughs> Another interesting thing out there this week is a study out now. And for my friends in the South, listen up. If you're 65 and living in Hawaii, here's some good news. Odds are that you'll live another 21 years, and for all but five of those years, you'll likely be in pretty good health. Hawaii tops the charts in the government's first state-by-state look at how Americans age 65 can expect to live on average and how many of those remaining years will be healthy ones. Retirement-age Mississippians fared worse, with only about 17 and a half more years remaining and nearly seven of them in poorer health. Now, U.S. life expectancy has been growing steadily for decades and is now nearly 79 for newborns. The figures released Thursday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimate that life expectancy for people 65 years old and what portion will be free of the illnesses and disabilities suffered late in life. Now, according to the uh, one of the health research studies, she says what ultimately matters is not just the length of life but the quality of life that a World Health Organization keeps, quote, a healthy life expectancy statistics on nearly 200 countries, and the numbers are used to determine the most sensible ages to set retirement and retirement benefits. But the measure is still catching on in the U.S. The CDC study is the first to make estimates for all 50 states. Overall, Americans who make it to 65 have about 19 years of life ahead of them, including nearly 14 in relatively good health. But the South and parts of the Midwest clearly had lower numbers, and that's not a surprise according to experts. They said that southern states tend to have higher rates of smoking, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and a range of other illnesses. They also have problems that affect health, like less education and more poverty. There are uh, issues that build up over a lifetime, so it's doubtful that moving to Hawaii after a lifetime in the south will certainly give you more healthy years, they said. After Mississippi, Kentucky, West Virginia, and Alabama had the lowest numbers for both life expectancy and healthy life expectancy, States with the best numbers included Florida, which is a magnet for healthy retirees, as well as Connecticut and Minnesota. The estimates were made using 2007 through 2009 data from the census, death certificates, and telephone surveys that asked people to describe their health. The CDC cautioned not to take too much of the differences between the states. Results could have been swayed, for example, by how people in different states interpreted and answered the survey questions. Other findings found that nationally women at 65 could expect the nearly 15 more years of healthy life. Men that age can expect about 13. African Americans feared much, they fared much worse than whites, but they can expect 11 years of healthy life compared to more than 14 for whites. The CDC report makes painfully clear that the disparities in the health of whites and blacks in their final years, uh, this according to a health economist at Dartmouth College. So very interesting studies there from the CDC in regards to health, and uh, we will also put that on our page uh, sometime this weekend, and you can take a look at the story yourself. And it's always a interesting footnote as to how different sections of the country live, and it, it is true. In some portions, and of course we know in the South, their eating habits a little bit more differently. I know here in the Midwest, uh, and then in the East it seems to be a little bit more of a healthier kick than especially with out West as well. Um, so wherever you live, pay close attention. But I guess at the end of the day, the one thing here is that it all comes down to you, what you do, how you eat, and how you live. So definitely uh, you can pretty much beat that statistic anywhere you go. And then finally, one of the other studies that we found here, a recent survey by Illicit Encounters, a U.K.-based dating website for married people looking to cheat, 
found that men who drive Audis is the most popular, which is uh, the most popular car among its members. So, if your significant other drives an Audi, you may want to watch out. Of the 800,000 members surveyed, 22% said they drive Audis. BMW, Mercedes-Benz, and Volvo were ranked second, third, and fourth most popular, respectively, and Volkswagen rounded out the top five. Now, this isn't the first survey to uncover cheaters' favorite things. Earlier this year, Ashley Madison, another dating site for married cheaters, found that most of its female members prefer to shop at Banana Republic. And in yet another poll, Ashley Madison looked into cheaters' dining preferences. Very, very interesting stuff, but I always wonder at the end of the day if it does actually stick, but who knows, but we'll leave it there. And for that, that is everything that is on page one this week around the world. And I can't thank each and every one of you enough for tuning in, and as I said, page one is here each and every week on Friday, unless otherwise noted, at 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central, on Blog Talk Radio, and of course, if you can't catch us live, you can always catch us afterward as a podcast available on iTunes or over here on Blog Talk Radio, and you can always catch up with us on our webpage at newscommentbtr.wix.com forward slash fan page, or on Twitter, or on Facebook, and on Twitter, it's at newscommentbtr. So that will do it this week for page one. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'm LeVar, and we will see you this time next week for another edition of page one. Have a great one.